Hi, this is Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. And today is another one of my favorite types of shows. We're doing an international episode. I am on live with Dave Giroux from, well, he's from America, but he's living in Guatemala. And uh, of course, you're going to find out why he's there and what he's doing. And you're also going to discover one of the most interesting men I have ever met in my entire life. Um, I have literally, I cannot recall a person who has inspired me more to believe that you really don't need anything except your own mind to succeed in this world and to get very far and to become what I would call a genius of the jack of all trades. So with no further delays, Dave, how are you? I'm good, man. It's really good to talk to you again. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. We we met in 2006, maybe four or five, actually. I don't even remember. But uh, I was slinging coffee at a, a restaurant that we've spoken about a million times on the show called Eugenio's. And you were like this guy who came in the second we opened and always got like a cup of black coffee. And I don't remember ever not hitting it off. I mean, it, we it might not have been the first time we talked, but... Within the first few times, you know, we were talking some pretty deep stuff. Yeah, no, and it was incredible. And and I've alluded to your many talents, but I know you are a very, very uh, successful pianist to the point where I believe you've performed many times on television, including The Tonight Show. I mean, you, I've heard you play every instrument. You're you're prodigious, to say the least. Let's jump back to the, the days before Portland. So where'd you grow up? Oh, I was born in Flint, Michigan and lived there until 92, 1992. That's when I got married and we, my wife and I moved to Nashville and I was there for three and a half years and then moved back to Flint, probably about seven more years. And then I moved to Portland, Oregon for 12 years. You were married and you were living in Nashville. That's the part of your career that I was trying to talk about, right? When you were really like performing a lot, playing piano. Is that correct? Yes. So who were you like playing with? Is it somebody that people would recognize? Possibly. Um, Clay Walker is the probably the bigger name and he's still going. I still see him all over the Internet. And, you know, when I was with him, even he had multiple number one hits. I'm sure he continued to do that. And then Wade Hayes is the other guy of note who he's he's comparably, you know, famous and made a similar mark for himself in country music. But we were best friends, Wade and I. All, everyone in the band was. It was really fun. Wow. I mean, it's just, it's so cool. So did you grow up liking country music or were you just so talented that you're like, yeah, what the hell? I'll just play in this country band in Nashville. Um, I don't know if, if, it, if I liked it or it, I was just so used to it. It was, it was ubiquitous growing up. My, my mom and my aunts all listened to it along with 50s, 60s, oldies rock and roll. And what's the, uh, what age did you first touch an instrument and start playing? Okay, well, since you worded it that way, not when did you learn, uh, when I was like eight or nine, something like that, my mom somehow came into this tiny, cheap, plastic chord organ, and she wasn't particularly musically inclined, but um, she liked to sing, and she managed to peck out the melody to Nearer My God to Thee, the, the gospel tune, uh, on that organ, and she showed it to me. So that that's my first memory of ever producing music with my hands. But uh, but it didn't really it didn't really take then. Like I that wasn't the start of things. That was just an isolated incident. And then like a year later, you know, when I was nine or ten, something like that, she ended up with a guitar, an acoustic guitar, and 
again, just sort of pecked out. It's it's just a boogie woogie baseline, you know, boom, 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 boom. And she showed me that, and that was another isolated incident. So there was like that chord organ thing and the guitar thing. I had these two tiny pieces of music. And then uh, I kept telling her I wanted to play the trumpet. She said, well, why don't you play drums? And, and then, you know, 11 years old in the sixth grade, I, I went into school band in the percussion section. Very cool. Would you define your childhood as like a happy childhood? The short answer is no. But it's not as simple as that because I sort of escaped into my own my, my own head. I I received a lot of abuse and I mean it's neglect as well, of course. But uh, I, it was just it was really really bad. And I feel like music is is that's what I I wrap my arms around it like like in a storm, you know, to not blow away into insanity and. Uh, I just never stopped. It's all I've ever done apart from having to take on, you know, this quickie job for some reason, gas station or something like that, you know? I mean, that's one of the most impressive things about you to me is that like, you're ethically resourceful. You figure out how to get by and how to get through. And your, your focus is always on like not wronging other people, but also like trying to achieve what it is that you want. And I, I just, I watched you do this in person for like four years and succeed. And then I've watched you from afar via Facebook doing it. And, you know, like here you are in Guatemala and we're, we're on the phone talking, but you're actually calling from a laptop. I'm curious if you had a spiritual philosophy at a young age. I certainly didn't have any kind of, you know, God's going to save me from anything feeling. I was numb with trauma, you know, just absolutely. I, there was no thinking. I, I was on autopilot for ever, until my mom died at, at age 50, you know, um, or I, I was 50. She was in her 70s. And uh, God, the only God stuff that I ever got started when my mom married this uh, this guy who was real active in the church. He played the organ and. Um, you know, he he also played guitar. So when she met when she met up with him, whatever he thought, I was eager to adopt. You know, I, I was like finally a, a role model. You know, he turned out to be a very bad role model, but uh, and and not it wasn't a great time. Today I claim atheism, but with a big old asterisk. A couple of years ago, I discovered Christopher Hitchens, and every freaking word that came out of his mouth. It was as if I it was as if I wrote it, not, not to say I speak as eloquently as he does, but the thoughts, not the words, you know, the, um, his, his views. It was exactly how I felt. I didn't know I felt that way until I heard someone say it. But uh, atheism, you know, if you say I'm an atheist, go to the dictionary definition of the word. You know, you break it down into the, the A prefix and the the, the the and the ist, and you break it all down, it's like atheist, you know, not believing in a God, in which that covers everything, like all the poly gods and all that, Zeus, and you know. But really, when you say atheist, you're you're referring to the Christian God, the Ju Judeo-Christian, Muslim, Allah, you know, the, the creation story. The That's really what we're talking about. So I do use the term atheist because I do not believe that. But I... A more a more 
accurate way to say it is agnostic, but everybody's agnostic because no one knows anything. So I, I don't like that word. It just doesn't doesn't do much. So I use atheist, but there was no pro-God or anti-God until I was an adult. And I didn't really experience any death until I was 16 when my grandpa died. So answer this question in the present tense. What do you think will happen to you when you die? Well, um, I'm unprepared really for that in terms of I, I don't know what I'm talking about, right? I These are strictly personal, you know, uh, thoughts. And, and from my very specific perspective, um, just to make that clear, I'm not claiming to know anything. In fact, I'm claiming to know nothing. All we are is energy. We're, we're just this buzzing group of, uh, you know, all that biology stuff, right? So when you die, what, whatever the, the operative part of you is goes somewhere and your body decays, right? Well, energy doesn't just disappear. I mean, I'm no scientist or anything like that, but that's, that's obvious. It doesn't disappear. It goes somewhere. So I, I don't think death is just Xing you out. I don't know. Something happens. Maybe your spirit, your soul, or whatever it is, you know, maybe it's like dispersed back into the universe or something, stardust, or maybe it's reincarnation or, or something like that. I, I, I've always thought that there was something to reincarnation. It just made sense to me somehow, although I couldn't quite tell you why. Dude, I believe in so few things that I feel guilty. What would you say are the few things you believe in? I believe that music that that music can control manipulate um not not in any bad way but i mean like music has serious influence over thoughts and actions of people without beyond their knowing about it you know i i do believe that um and that's only because i've experienced it firsthand on both ends for so long you know well, yeah, let me just interrupt and say that I have seen you perform uh, too many times to count and you're a f rock star. You really are. Like, it's just crazy. I mean, I've seen you perform and it's it's psychotic how much energy, like what you're describing, I've seen you do it and I've seen you like puppeteer it. I've seen you like raise the mandolin and like go to the left side of the stage and then I have just, and you have like this engaged look in your eyes that a lot of people are great at music and a lot of people are great at writing songs. A lot of people are great at like different components of it, but like you just have that thing where the people with you in the band are like supporting you, even if you're not the lead. If people did want to hear like sneaking out or any of your other performances, are you on the internet that way? Yeah. YouTube's full of, of uh, sneaking out videos, lots of, lots of people. And then I have a YouTube channel uh, where I, I put up a bunch of them. David Jarreau Music Channel. Okay, so I want to ask you like a lot of quick questions and then I want to come all the way back and do more philosophy because I think you're, like I said, I truly think your brain, at least when it comes to music and a few other things, is on that like level that we use the word genius. So true or false, did you teach yourself Russian? Uh, well, I'm still studying it, but yeah, it's independent. Okay, true or false, 15 years ago, a guy from Russia came into a coffee shop and started speaking Russian, and you turned around and spoke in fluent Russian to him, and his eyes went completely wide, and he said, how did you learn this? And you said, I picked it up, and he couldn't believe it. Well, I mean, it's, it definitely wasn't fluent <laughs> Russian, to be clear. But, uh, I, you know, I, at one time, I was studying five languages simultaneously, Spanish, Italian, French, German, and Russian. I would, this, it started in high school, 
and I would go like on a like study hall type period, you know, I would go to the library and that's back when they had record players and uh, these big box set type packagings of language records. So I would, I would take down all the languages. I take down the records in Spanish, French, German, Italian at that time and sat down with the record player, put the headphones on and would copy from the booklets that came with the records, the conversational stuff like, you know, how are you? What time is it? I love you. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Where's the, where's the library? You know what I mean? In every language. I like the puzzle of language, the game of it. That's cool. And do you think that having a musical ear undoubtedly helps with the language or do you think they're actually just even the same thing? Well, I don't, I've never seen the connection, even though I understand what people say the connection is. Okay. I, I do I don't connect them except to say that music is clearly a language. But no, I don't really have anything to say on that because to me they're just there's languages and there's music and I just love them both. But it's super common for musicians to be good at picking up languages. Yeah, I was teaching myself Thai for a long time uh, because I was you know talking to my son and hoping that he would respect me for that. But it's it's so much harder than I would ever think to speak Thai. And then in Spanish, it's also kind of similar. I feel like I'm making fun of them when I do the accent right because to do it right, I'm using the part of me that is is called mimicry. Well, um, I have the same problem. You do the trilled R's and you and you make the vowels pure and you say, okay, that's all I can do, you know. But um, Little by little, I've been told by Guatemalans that, uh, by some Guatemalans, that it's, that I sound like a native, and I've been told by others that they can't understand a word I'm saying. Ah, that's great. <laughs> uh, which is not enough for me. I mean, I'm, I'm down here. I came down to, to master it, you know? Yeah. Did they, uh, did you move down there with someone or to meet someone, or did you go down just like naked and you didn't know anyone? Actually, this is all because of a very good friend of mine named Julian Root. When we first met, we were in a band together called the Hill Williams. He came to Portland and took the place of uh, Matt Franson, who was playing banjo with the Hill Williams. And I was playing, I was playing fiddle. Julian stepped in. Actually, the leader of the band told me, he said, yeah, we got the new banjo player coming today. I said, oh, what's up? And he said, well, he's only going to be with us for a couple months because he's moving to Guatemala. And as soon as he said those words, I had like, it wasn't a, it wasn't a visual, but I, I call it a vision. I had never even met the guy. So he gets to rehearsal. He's like, Dave, Julian, Julian, Dave. He's like, shake hands. Like, how are you doing? We pull out the instruments, start tuning up and it's time to start rehearsal. And the lead of the band, you know, he's counting in the first tune. He's like, Hey, let's run this song. Two, one, two, before the count in was over, I said, because we, we had been talking about his Guatemala trip prior, the count into the song is happening, and I'm like, dude, I'm going to go with you. We'll talk about it after rehearsal. He's like, okay. You know, we've known each other 15 minutes. Part of why it's cool is because I, I have like a list of like little notes of questions I want to ask you, and it's not from before the interview. It's as we talk. One of the things on the list is just the word love, because something we have in common is I think we both fall hard when we feel love. And I don't mean like fall in love. I just mean that like we respect it and love it and won't be afraid and like shy away from it. Is that a fair assessment? Well, um, this is, this is a kind of difficult thing to talk about because I don't want to put a damper on the mood we've got going right here. And I certainly, and I don't want to come off dramatic or anything like that, but if we're going to be, if we're going to tell the truth, Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to Mikeyop.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us and it's free. 
That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P dot com. Thanks. The truth is, Mike, that over the last decade or so, I have just, I've become like just emotionally inaccessible. Wow. Wow. And that's not to say I don't love anybody or that no one loves me, you know, uh, but in terms of relationships, like, you know, couples, you know, finding a, you know, the right guy or the right girl or how people do, uh, I, I don't know what it would take for that to happen again, because I've got these, these locked doors that it all sounds so stupidly dramatic to say it out loud, but I, I don't know what it would take for me to find a relationship like that again. I don't know if I'd want to be with someone crazy enough to want to be with me. What you're telling me is news to me, but the reason for it is what is news to me. You feeling that way is not new to me because that, I mean, that makes sense. Like, and that's kind of what, you know, I talked about your childhood a little bit, like you've been hurt a lot many times. And, uh, you know, I think when people get hurt, they have different coping strategies. And I know you've had different strategies that do and don't work throughout your life. I was hopeful that when you moved to Guatemala, great things were in store for you in that department. Have you had opportunities that you just shook your head and said, nah, or have you not even had opportunities? Uh, I just don't, I just don't see them. It's not that I'm not looking. I I just, it's just a non-starter. Don't mistake that for, you know, not wanting physical relations or anything like that you know i'm talking about the the deep stuff you know soulmate stuff i and you know every relationship i've ever ever had every boyfriend and for that matter every girlfriend while while it was going on you know especially the first two or three months you know when you're chemically in love biologically in love it was always just the best i'm not living this way because it's like you you know what sounds fun (laughs) poverty but there is something about making more out of less down here that hits me right in the right in the center you know just like make shift and recycling not in not in the bottles and cans sense but repurposing you know duct tape goes a long way etc you know you don't just go out and buy a new iphone because your screen cracked see this is why i miss you and and respect you so much is that it's so hard to participate in the culture you and i both are from in america when you have awareness of like how it's easier the less you have but it's also not easier (laughs) well it depends on it depends on what you mean like it depends on what it is right like what what is easier is gathering what it is that you need because you've reduced it to so little what's not easier is the slow time when you've got all your stuff you got a house that's stocked with food and you know your your bills are paid you know a month ahead or whatever you know and it's like you hit a slow time you know you lose your job or, or business is slow or something like that, you've got a cushion and you've, you, you've, you're pretty sure that it's just temporary and you don't sweat it. But down here, it's like every one of those times when things get hard, it's really hard not to go, God, what if it doesn't pick back up? That does happen to, to me anyway. I can't speak for anyone else. Also, I, I, I hope you didn't take anything that I've said so far to mean that I'm not happy. I've never been happy before. I mean, I've been happy-ish and I've been in good, you know, you get good moods and yada da. I'm finally happy. And it's, you know, it's uncomfortable as hell sometimes. Not the happiness, the living situation. Yeah, yeah, that was confusing. Thank you. So hold on, can you give a pointer to our audience as to like how it is that you finally found happiness? Well, um, it kind of just happened to me. It's not anything clever on my part. This story, I'm not sure how to tell it. Okay, I told you about, you know, all the years of abuse and the, the abuse, the psychological abuse continued until my mom died. Of course, the, you know, the physical abuse stopped as soon as I could 
stop her, you know, but she died about four years ago. And when I got the news, I was prepared to start drinking and, and get good and drunk and do what you're supposed to do. Boo-hoo and, and, and all that. Right. And, you know, I drank a few beers and at the time I was a heavy, heavy drinker. I mean, absolutely alcohol level or uh, alcoholic level, but um, functional. And so I sat down, I started drinking by myself, you know, thinking, let's do this. And I just, I just couldn't drink. I, I couldn't finish a beer. I, and I was like, wow, this is weird. Three days of that. I did every day. I, I tried to get drunk and I just didn't taste the same. It didn't, I didn't want the change of headspace. And I was like, what the f And this three days after my mom died, I hear in my right ear, like, like a human being, like a human child whispering in my ear and i can't express that enough the voice said the boogeyman is gone and it was a child's voice and i'm assuming it was me as a child and the boogeyman was my mom and i and then i realized i have spent my whole life running and hiding and protecting myself from my mother and, and as soon as soon as that little boy voice said the boogeyman is gone i i did cry and um Everything changed. It's it, it's like being it's like coming out of a fifty year coma. I, I came out of it, and I'm I'm like I'm this experienced, you know, at least decent musician. I've got a resume that is that makes me proud. I've got these, you know, I'm in Guatemala. I'm I'm like what am I? It was like waking up to it, and I'm I'm experiencing life really for the first time, little by little, just over the last four years. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it except to say I, I'm finally alive. You know, I'm not not hiding. I'm not protecting myself. I woke up and it was like, oh, there was a mess to clean up as well. I've hurt a lot of people and I've borrowed money from people that I, I have every intention of paying it all back. But there's no hope for it, given my current situation. So it's, you know, it have to be later down the road. But as I tried to tell people my, this story, like, hey, good now I'm, I'm i'm healthy i'm happy and and no one wants to hear it it's really really mostly just money i'll use this opportunity to publicly apologize i i am sorry for all that but i i would like to think that the people who love me and care about me will celebrate this with me and say i know what you mean my playing is better than ever i'm in the best shape of my life at 54 i'm down to 174 pounds nice I want to do two things. I want to finish wrapping up a couple of the loose ends from this podcast. And then I want to kind of get into like a really deep personal conversation with you. And I'm going to really ask you some like very personal questions on my behalf. And I might be too scared once I ask them to put it out there. So, okay, because I, this is why I miss you so much, Dave, is like, I feel like you're a big brother and I met you and I had just moved to Portland and I didn't know a lot of people and I was suffering from now that I'm, you know, in my 40s, like stupid 20 something. But at the time, it felt so real. And you were always there to kind of guide me. And uh, you, you said it first. So I'm going to say it like, you're also the only like truly functional alcoholic I've ever known. And it's just bizarre. <laughs> it's just bizarre. I, I've, I cannot understand how a person as gifted and talented as you could get away with it all. And then at the same time, as soon as you told me about your mom and your childhood, 
it, it more than made sense. And that's that to me is part of why I wanted to have you on is I just think anyone listening to this who has like issues from their childhood, I think it, there's a lot of hope in hearing someone say, hey, it took until I was 50 and I didn't even do anything. <laughs> it just happened to me because I hear that a lot. I hear that from a lot of people. Let me let me add this to that because this is important. It, it, it's important to me that anyone who's listening to this and, and finds this story interesting that they also know never one time, and I'm not exaggerating, never once. My whole life, my whole childhood, young adulthood, up to 50 years old, did I ever, ever wish my mom would die. It never crossed my mind. Man, if only she were dead, my life would be better. Never crossed my mind. And then when she did, you know, and all that, you know, the boogeyman stuff. And I realized, I was like, holy crap, I've been fighting for my mom all these years. Uh, we've known each other a long time. I met you when I was 24, I believe. And so I'm 41 now. Back when I met you, I was a young ambitious musician trying to make it in music and then a really shortly after that I switched to writing and so I've been writing since 2006 and you've known me as a writer as well as a musician because I didn't quit playing music or anything anyway my life has meandered I've done a lot I've published novels and I've done all these things and when you said the statement I'm proud of my resume I'm proud of my resume but I don't feel successful and I want you to analyze that and help me with that oh boy well I mean the the s word you know, success. It's again, that, that word, it, it's got connotations now that don't even really apply. You know, like you say success, everyone sees a dollar sign. You know, he made a, he made a million dollars. Oh, he, he succeeded. Well, he succeeded in making a million dollars. If you don't have a passion, if you don't have something that you're looking forward to, literally like looking ahead and seeing it and moving towards it. Success can't happen. You can't succeed at nothing. For me, I, I decided as a kid, I mean, I remember I, was, I remember telling myself, it's like, I want this music thing. And as long as that's coming, the rest belongs to everybody else. They can split it up, divide it however they want. I, as long as the music's happening, I'm fine. And that was my, that's, that was my purpose. That was like, okay, that's the boat I'm in, you know? And the rest is like, whatever, clothes, cars, boyfriend, girlfriend, cheap food, you know, got to eat bologna sandwiches and ramen noodles. Nope. Who cares? The music's happening. And that's, I made, I made a deal with the muse. If that's not too pretentious, <laughs> I, I told the muse if, if she would just keep it coming, that I would never say no. I would never say, no, I don't want to play that. I don't want to play with that person. I don't want to play that song. I don't want to do this. As long as, as long as it kept coming. The muse could count on me as a as a vehicle. Dude, you just saved me thousands of dollars in therapy, and I, I am grinning ear to ear. This is why I knew if I asked you, you would... I have asked that question to a lot of people, but I've phrased it differently, and I've set it up differently, and I've tried all these different ways, but I just knew when I told you, you would get it, and you did, and now I get it. And I am getting the gift from the muse over and over again. I feel a lightness. This is incredible. Because I went to a writing program, a graduate school, and they told us like straight up, you want to make money doing this. You have to do X, Y, and Z. You have to like post on social media. You have to have an account. You have to, like all these like rules. And you know me, I just, I hate rules and I hate authority and I hate doing what other people do. So I've, I've like never stopped writing, never stopped producing, never stopped publishing, never stopped making music, like all of my things, you know, it doesn't matter. But I never got over the fact that they convinced me that success is monetarily tied in. To respond to what you just said, because this is important too, I think. If you're going to be a writer, you need this, that, and the other, and social media, and this and that. You just went through the list. It's like, well, don't you just need a pen? You know what I'm saying? 
it's like same same way with the music. It's like people are like, dude, you gotta. In fact, it's the same list that you rattled off, right? People confuse music with the music business, and I'm like, no, don't talk to me about the music business. It's not been my friend. It's not about music. It's about product, and music happens to be the product. I, I read a Todd Rundgren interview. He said uh, two two things that really that that I cling to when I feel I need some inspiration. One was it's an artist's responsibility to make a public act of self-observation. That summed it up for me. I, I totally got it. And then the other thing was he talked about prior to, you know, technology, music was a service, not a product. You hired, you know, you hire musicians the way you hire a, a freaking plumber and you're, you're paid because, wow, well, I can't do that. Will you please do that? And I'll pay you. Where with the product, CDs and records and posters and t-shirts and all that stuff, it, it's it's susceptible to the BS of, you know, commerce and all that crap. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I can't believe how well you've helped me with something. And now it's funny because I had an inkling of what we were talking about, but now I get it. <laughs> right, right. To, to replace music with writing, to, to make it your, your case, Mike, you're going to need this and Facebook and, and all this stuff. It's like, no, I just need my pen and paper or my computer, whatever. And this is, ties in with something that my new hero right now is Buckethead. I don't know if you know who that is. Of course I do. I saw him uh, perform with Guns N' Roses, actually. Yeah. I just discovered him a few months ago. And I, I can say this with 100% confidence. He is absolutely... 100% unquestionably my all-time hero. And I don't just mean musically. I mean as a person. There's a, a video on YouTube. Uh, it's just audio, but it's him and being interviewed by his shrink. Bucket says, um, yeah, but it's hard for me to keep my energy going and, and the flow and everything. There's, there's people talking in the audience and they're just, they just they seem like they're not into me and it, it affects my playing. And what he learned from his shrink uh, was that you don't get on stage and ask the audience for anything. You're doing the offer. You're there to give to them. And if it works right, they give back. But you're not asking for it. It doesn't affect you at all. That, that helped me a lot. You know, I, I use that on stage in my own mind. That helps so much. Dave, I can't even... My predictions for how fun this was going to be and how excellent it was going to be were not off at all. <laughs> I miss you. I love you. This has been so special for me. I just can't thank you enough. And uh, as we used to say all the time on the episode, thank you so much for helping us put another nail in the coffin. And normally I would plug my website and all that stuff, but I actually just want to let Dave take us out. So Dave, I don't care how you do it, but what's one last thing you just want to say to this audience? Have a good time all the time. That's awesome. So there you have it, everyone. Have a good time all the time. And remember, music is not the same thing as the music business. I'm Mike Oppenheim, and we will see you soon. And then I see that you see me, and I see you hear this tune, and I feel that you limb, and I sing you are my moon.